Welcome to The Connector, where we connect North Carolina to ideas and North Carolinians to each other. This podcast series is from the Institute for Emerging Issues at North Carolina State University. And now to the conversation. Welcome, everyone. I am James Herrick with the Institute for Emerging Issues at North Carolina State University, and welcome to The Connector. A main topic of The Connector has been conversations about Talent First Economics, the 2023 Emerging Issues Forum, and breaking down barriers for underrepresented workers across North Carolina. Today, we're going to continue that conversation and touch upon learning paths in workforce development. I am happy to welcome back Sarah Hall, the Director of the Institute for Emerging Issues. Sarah, welcome again. Hi, James. Thanks so much for having me back. This is one of my very favorite topics, so glad to be here. Well, good. And I know you have some great things to uh, tell us about that you've learned over uh, the course leading up into our forum. And I'd also like to welcome our next guest, Ariana Williamson. Ariana is the Director of Strategic Partnerships sorry, for at North Carolina Tech Pass in North Wilkesboro. She also served on last year's Talent First Economics Task Force, which identified a set of recommendations to help connect workers who historically, systematically, or as a result of COVID, face barriers in the workforce participation. Now, this included, but it's not limited to two, you know, we had opportunity youth, family with young children, individuals who are justice involved, those with disabilities or who are neurodiverse and transitioning military and their families. So I want to thank you all for for helping shape this important body of work. And so now let's start the conversation. So Ariana, Leading up to this, we've been talking before the podcast on the subject of private sector engagement in supporting workforce development. But how can organizations like IEI and other nonprofits specifically assist in this goal? Absolutely. And thank you so much for having me. The private sector requires the work that we're doing at IEI, NC Tech Paz, the NC Works Commission. They need this next generation of our workforce to be ready. And they also need to tap into those unique talent pools. But what organizations like the, like ours can do is to really support the uh, private sector engagement by in- expanding their capacity, working through strategic planning with them, identifying sources of funding for them to engage with their communities a little bit better and understand what resources there are and what resources may be lacking. So, Sarah, like, what are your thoughts? What role do you see organizations playing in advancing the challenges that face workforce development? Yeah, you know, I think about the role that the Institute for Emerging Issues has played. Um, and I think, you know, we we were able to bring together some of those siloed players. Um, so you mentioned, James, five of the different uh, uh, underrepresented groups of workers that we focused on. Well, there are many more, and there's a lot of there intersectionality are. among all of those groups. We also touched upon... Uh, Latino workers and older adult workers, and of course, uh, rural workers. Um, And so I think one of our strengths is that we can sort of identify the landscape and bring together those siloed players. Um, We can create some common stage setting uh, to to understand what the different issues each group is facing. Um, Maybe uncover, as Ariana said, some of those resources that maybe Uh, could be tapped into, but folks don't know about. Um, I think it's an opportunity for us to come together across our different 
geographic, demographic, ideological perspectives to get an understanding of our shared values around what it means to connect workers to good jobs? You know, what does that mean for North Carolina? What does that mean for communities? Um, and I think ultimately we can help tease out opportunities. I, I can't tell you how many times I've heard someone say, if only there was an organization out there that could, you know, in, you know, fill in the blank, bring us together who has the time. You know, Ariana has a full-time job just focused on what she she needs to do and multiply that times, you know, 10 different partners. And so I think one of the strengths uh, and unique assets of organizations like IEI and other intermediaries is we can create that time, almost like be that excuse to bring everyone together. Um, and I think that, you know, that's when the magic can can really happen. Um, so, so again, from just like a very unique, uh, you know, specific example of how IEI can fill those gaps. Yeah. So we've been talking about the task force, obviously, leading up to this. And one of their goals was to identify ways to remove the barriers for workers wanting to enter or stay engaged in the workforce. So, Ariana, you were part of a group that focused on those with disabilities and neurodiversity, um, but this also included those with substance use disorders. So why was it important for you to help find workforce solutions for these underrepresented workers? Absolutely. Um, in this role, I think the the key here is that I'm advocating for people who have always been trying to enter the workforce. The unique thing about especially people with disabilities, veterans, people with young children and their families, these barriers have been there for a very long time. And it takes advocates, often in grassroots, boots on the ground style organizations, to identify self-directed pathways forward into the workforce. And that always comes with a little bit of um and not it comes with a little bit of a struggle within each workplace because we have to consider individual accommodations. We have to consider standardization of um, the support that's offered for all employees. And so what I love about the task force that we were a part of is that IEI was that intermediary that pulled all of these organizations, advocates, and individuals who have been working with these subgroups for a long time together and got their well uh, well thought out, well researched, evidence based best practices to suggest for larger engagement from private sector, government, et cetera. Now, I attended a couple of the meetings and and I heard some some conversation and whatnot, but but I imagine there was some common barriers that each group faced. You know, like justice involved, or you mentioned transitioning vets. So. The commonality, the barriers they're facing, each group, you know, can you share maybe some of the things you heard, some of the things you recognize that each group kind of like, okay, there is a there is that common barrier that, wow, we're all facing that. Absolutely. My number one barrier that I've seen across all unique talent pools, even including people who are already employed or who have fewer visible barriers is stigma the stigma of having young children, the stigma of having been justice involved. Uh, we all have a story and a pathway that led us to where we are today, and we all deserve the open opportunity to redefine our story. And so when we're met with stigma, immediately those accommodations, those conversations that are necessary to ensure success for both parties, right? The individual who's seeking a job or who is trying to retain their employment and the employer who has to think of a lot more than just one individual, 
Um, there's a lot of benefit from being able to connect authentically, to develop trust enough to speak to our experiences. And that's really the work that it takes to break down stigma. With COVID, everything was such a rush. It was just put Band-Aids on, put Band-Aids on. We uh, we know that the dam is busting, but, but just stick your finger in there for a little bit longer and we'll see what happens. But um, that didn't really afford us the time to sit down and build trust and to break down barriers for individuals. So what I hope we see moving out of that, um, if we can count ourselves as moving out of that crisis, um, is that it takes time, it takes intentionality to build that trust and to um, open the lines of communication, both as service providers, as employers, as educators, as child care providers. Um, and so to me, stigma is just the most important thing that we can be breaking down that impacts almost everyone. Yeah, and Ariana, I want to build on that. And I so appreciate you just lifting that up because, you know, I would say that uh, in several of the programs that we have worked on over the last couple of years, of which mental health or substance abuse um, has come up. We talk about stigma. And I have really thought about what that means from a rural and urban context. Um, because, you know, when we talk about treatment um, opportunities and, and all that, it's easier in an urban center, right, to become invisible and sort of you know, no one's really paying too much attention to where you go and who you talk to, but maybe building trust might be difficult. But in, a, in you're in Wilkes County, which is a more rural community. So how does that work when you've got generations of households that you know, I'm sure people know, you remember when you were a grandbaby and all that kind of stuff. And so for you to receive some of those services that are so necessary uh, to get healthy and better, um, I'm just curious how that's playing out in your community and what efforts have taken place to kind of help alleviate some of those concerns. That's an excellent question. Um, before I worked for NC Tech Pass, I worked with Wilkes Recovery Revolution, who has recently been nationally recognized for the work that they're doing in the style of um, accreditation and the model uh, of their organization. They're a, rec a recovery community organization um, that is voiced by the by lived experience. Everybody who works there is a certified peer support specialist or an ally, a recovery coach. Um, and the building itself, which serves as a workforce development center, a crisis center, um, and many, many other hats, uh, is in a medical park. So for any number of reasons, you could be driving into this medical park to see a provider. And I think that opened up a lot of opportunity for people to feel comfortable seeking services. Again, being voiced by lived experience means that when you walk through the door, at least everyone in that building knows somewhat of what you're going through and can have some sensitivity. Um, also, they are doing competency training for their staff, even though they have lived experience, even though they're in it every day. That is one of the key things that supports uh, effective engagement for communities, families, individuals into the workforce is that direct, authentic service provision. Um, and I think that is how we support each other in communicating to where we may remove some of the stigma ourselves. Um, and I think that's how we support individuals in feeling confident enough to share their stories and start on the next leg of their path. Yeah, Ariana. And, you know, as you know, the task force report, that was front and center about engaging those 
with lived and direct experience. We said uh, lived expertise, I think, you know, to, to really celebrate the fact that they bring that. Um, but with those core competencies in both the designing of the project, um, you know, we talked about things like if you're going to have a website to try to help opportunity youth, for example, understand their resources, have young people help design that webpage. So it's interesting and engaging. And that's one, just one small example. So um, I appreciate you, um, you know, just mentioning the importance of folks with lived experience, really sort of not just sort of being engaged, but like helping to drive, right, the, the solutions and the path ahead. So thanks for mentioning that. Well, so I guess, you know, one of the things that you know, obviously a goal of the task force and the outcome from that and then the whole workforce development is obviously is, you know, is to get the barriers removed and to get people into the workforce and keep them to stay, get them engaged. So building on that uh, in past conversations, we've kind of talked about the need for more learning paths that can be offered on someone's own time and ones that are accelerated so people can move through them more quickly than, say, the traditional semester timeline. Uh, we also kind of talked about self-taught options to help someone reach their goals and, 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 you know, the needed tools, you know, like the learning stipend. So I'm really interested in hearing more about that. Absolutely. I think we've seen again uh, through COVID, but also there was a push for this a little bit before COVID uh, where we're looking at how do we create accessibility through the academic system that we currently have post high school. Um, we started to see a lot more scholarships for full coverage of the class, plus a little bit extra for books and laptops. We've seen a ton of federal funding through the WIOA program going through NC Work Systems. And what it comes down to and what we've realized now is that even with a free class, it's not accessible. If you have your class online and you don't have access to the internet or a laptop, it's not accessible. That requires transportation and time to get to a computer lab or whatever that looks like. And and you should be working, right, to make a living. Um, so the idea that somebody, just because the class is free or because the program is well marketed, has equal access that their neighbor has to taking that class um, really has been proven uh, untrue. So the living wage stipend that NC Tech Paths provides for our, for learners through the time, it's a 12-week program that we partner with Perscolis for. Um, and so this is just one example of one industry type uh, learning, accelerated learning program, but it's about 12 weeks, Monday through Friday, nine to four. And so we realized we have to pay them. They can't go and get an evening job because there's homework and that's three months of their life. CompTIA, which is the organization that holds the certification, um, did a lot of research to look into these accelerated pathways to earn their certification. And what they found is that learners are two times more likely to succeed which means they graduate the program, earn their certification, and then find employment if they were paid a living wage stipend through the time that they were in school. Of course, it's more about more than just money, direct stipends, and uh, funding. This can also mean, you know, Sarah, you mentioned the website. That's such a great example of how to engage from the beginning. But then at that access point that comes at the end of the project, what if the, the youth don't have access to internet, access to a laptop, access to a cell phone, even with a data plan. So, um, you know, I, I think a, a, a strategic plan that looks at every element of the work that we're doing to get people higher rates of educational attainment, 
back into the workforce. Um, it requires that we look at both the access and the inclusion. You know, and Ariana, one of the other things is we got to hear from two of your program alumni um, through, through NC Techs at the uh, Emerging Issues Forum. And the cohort approach that you really helped shepherd and facilitate was also very meaningful to them. They mentioned it a couple of times because it's hard work. You just mentioned it was nine to four, Monday through Friday for, you know, several months. And for some folks, that's, you know, they haven't been in school or they haven't been in a training program. So, you know, we're talking about tools, but I think the approach of having folks who are coming maybe from different circumstances, but all really seeking that, uh, you know, ladder to opportunity together uh, was really important. And um, I was also just struck by just thinking about impact. You know, one of one of the graduates was just recently married, had a new baby, and was talking about the the ability to go through this program, earn a significantly higher wage than what he was doing. And the generational impact, like the, the true impact that was going to have on, you know, the, his family's trajectory. Um, and I think about that ripple effect of the community impact, you know, and, and all of that. And so um, having a research-based program like that, that truly is making an impact, not just on one worker, you know, but but the entire community around them, I think, is is so important. Um, so, yeah, so great work that you're all doing on that. Thanks, Sarah. And if I can, just one more quick story about a learner who went through our program, because you're right. It's been incredible to see each story of impact. And, and there is something really unique and significant about each of these stories. And one of the learners uh, started with me when I was doing some of the workforce development and educational attainment work for Wilkes Recovery Revolution and said, I am unemployable. So I'm just here for fellowship and to maintain my recovery. And it was the first time that I heard that word come out of somebody's mouth describing themselves. And I thought that isn't a thing. We're going to fix this today. What is it that she's lacking in her confidence that we can tweak? What is it that she's lacking in her soft skills or professional development portfolio? What is it that she's missing on her resume? And so we started to fill the gaps. Uh, NC TechPaz took over. She was gifted a vehicle by uh, the Alliance Bible Fellowship in Boone, North Carolina. DSS has started to support her in saving funds to buy a home as she goes through uh, the last year of her housing program with them. And so the I say this story to show how many entities within the org the community, how many different budgets for crisis assistance, how many different staff members at these organizations it took to get her from saying that she is unemployable and and living off of eight hundred dollars a month of social services funding to now being a rock star IT specialist at Lowe's companies making over $50,000 a year with a vehicle with prospects of home ownership and, and supporting her family. And that happened in less than a year. That is incredible. And I also think about, you know, for the others that come behind her that think I'm unemployable. I, and then to look at this example and, and say, yeah, I've got chills just thinking about it. Um, that's so powerful. It's so powerful, the work that happens in communities all across North Carolina. And I hope others listening today are inspired about what's possible. Um, and maybe they'll reach out to you, Ariana, to figure out how they can get more involved in your program. Because 
you could participate in NC Tech Pass, you know, maybe seemingly one day from from anywhere. So, um, so that's great. Yeah, these are the, these are the stories I like to hear, and this is one of the things that that I enjoy doing the podcast is being able to hear this and and share it. Um, uh, positive outcomes are just they, well. I watched y'all. There was a smile on your face when you were talking about this and you heard about it. So. We're getting close to the end. Are there any closing thoughts or points we didn't get to? And and how do we learn more? I mean, uh, or or maybe resources. Absolutely. I think one of the most important takeaways I hope that anyone listening would would have is that no matter who you're working for, what sector you're in, what neighborhood or type of community you live in, there is a way for you to get engaged. And hopefully we have effective collaboration across organizations like IEI that bring that academic integrity to the work that they're doing, NC TechPaz that brings the research and evidence-based practices in, organizations like Wilkes Recovery Revolution that do the direct person-to-person service provision that it is going to take for us to rebuild our workforce here in in, uh, the United States. So I just hope that no matter where you are or what you're doing, that you find a way to get engaged with your community and build back one individual at a time from a, from a local perspective, just bringing in as many resources as you can. Well, I would like to thank both of you, our guest, Ariana Williamson, the Director of Strategic Partnerships for NC Tech Pass, as well as the Director for the Institute for Emerging Issues, Sarah Hall. Thank you both for being here today. I'm James Herrick with the Institute for Emerging Issues. For more information on today's topic, and as always, please visit emergingissues.org. Until next time, let's all stay connected. This has been a presentation from the Institute for Emerging Issues at North Carolina State University. To learn more, please visit us at emergingissues.org.